The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Today we're going to talk about Captain Marvel. And we have a very special guest on our show, the amazing, talented, wonderful Tamara Robertson. Thanks for being on our show, Tamara. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Tamara Robertson. I am a chemical and biomolecular engineer. And for most of the maker world, you probably know me from my days on Mythbusters, as well as Mythbusters Juniors. And some of you prank lovers will know me from Sidejinx. So if you watch Discovery or the Science Channel, you'll know me from those. Or if you're an overall geek and lover of superhero science, you've probably seen me at a lot of the cons. Woo! Woohoo! There's a lot of superhero <laughs> science to Captain Marvel that I can't wait to get into. But this, <laughs> <laughs> this first question I'm going to have is actually what I want to say is this movie was really about breaking all the boundaries to do what's right. What an amazing role model for not only the next generation of women, but for really all genders. This is me and you on Halloween. I'm Amelia Earhart, your Jenna Shoplin. Why is it so important to see heroic female role models in this capacity? It's so amazing to me that Captain Marvel is finally on the big screen, right? Like this has been a murmur and everything since she just kind of totally went viral, I guess is what we would say nowadays. <laughs> um, when she transferred from being Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel and the comic series. And I think it's so important for us to see her. I know, obviously, um, there were a lot of people that rallied behind Hidden Figures when it came out and Wonder Woman when they came out. And both of those were pivotal and amazing and just so cinematically great. But the one thing that Captain Marvel is doing different from everyone else is she's not someone's daughter. She's not someone's wife. She's not someone's girlfriend. She literally is just herself and that's enough. And we get to see her be this strong, powerful woman that no matter how many times she's knocked down, gets back up and like I still remember that montage because oh, I was just I sitting there in my scene. seat like heck yeah and it's like <laughs> I had goosebumps everywhere and it's just one of those powerful moments that every little girl in the audience is like I can do it I can get back up and every little boy in the audience is like yeah and cheering for her too so it kind of just brings everyone together to be excited about this empowered woman owning her own and going after what she believes in. Exactly. I feel the same way. I was so excited when I saw the preview for it and loved every second of it. I want to watch this movie like 12 more times. I'm so excited that these movies are coming out now and I so wish that there are more movies like it when I was growing up. 
as a child, I found myself identifying more with male characters because they were the characters that I wanted to be like in terms of they were the ones going on adventures. They were the ones that were kicking butt and being courageous and fighting the dragons and saving people. And I remember at one point kind of writing kind of like a fanfic of Three Musketeers where the Musketeers started allowing women into the King's Guard and what that would be like. You know, and just how sad it was that there weren't really female characters for me to look up to. As a kid growing up without these powerful female characters, my grandfather actually started creating them. So he would take a piece of paper and pretend that there was a story written in it with invisible ink. And then he would slide his finger across as if he was reading. And he would tell me a story about a little, little girl who had the same name as me. And this girl would go on adventures and fight monsters and save other people, including saving guys from monsters. And, you know, he saw that there weren't female characters for me to look up to. So he created them. And I think he'd be so proud if he saw this movie. And I was so proud. It's so incredible for people of all genders, for girls, for boys, for gender neutral individuals to see how powerful women can be. They'll never let you fly. This isn't a game for little girls. Give it up. I'm kind of done with you telling me what I can't do. Not to show these boys how we do it. You ready? Higher, further, faster, baby. Yes, try to keep up and as you said that they don't have to belong to somebody they don't have to be somebody's child specifically or or somebody's significant other to be powerful because with her yes she has superpowers but I think what Captain Marvel has more than anything is her dignity her sense of what's right her sense of duty and her sense of compassion and wanting to stand up for the people that she cares about I really love that yeah. story. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really love that story no, about your grandfather and him being your first feminist role model. I think that's fantastic. But Tamara, you wanted to say something? Well, I was just going to say I had the joy of watching uh, Captain Marvel for the first time at a Clippers premiere with their Mentorship Assist Zone program, which is all at-risk young girls, middle school, high school girls. So, like, that montage, especially the number of, of screams in the room and excitement, like, it was like there's no better way to watch Captain Marvel for the first time, like, own her own than in a room full of young girls that are, like, wanting to be able to own their own and go be beyond where they're at you know yes. so it's really incredible yes that is so cool I love that and I love that you got to be a part of that and I imagine it was so moving for all those young girls and for those youth it, it's just so empowering I think everyone needs to see it right I hear what you said about your experience at the Clippers with these young women and everything and how important it is and it's quite interesting to me that this film got such a huge pushback once Brie Larson, essentially all she was was vocal about 
the lack of diversity in Hollywood and Which is essentially, true. yeah, and essentially how important feminism and diverse cultural representation is to her. So these trolls of the toxic internet persuasion, let's say, began seething and started posting reviews of a movie they hadn't even gone to see. It was actually really crappy and Rotten Tomatoes actually changed their whole policy after it because it's a privilege to be able to go out here and review these movies. I don't understand why these people are so afraid of characters that are not white or male. What do you think it is that causes these ignorant outbursts and these smear campaigns? I think it's fear. Uh, I think people are afraid of change and they're afraid of what they don't understand. I think a lot of people sadly have been misinformed. So they might have grown up in environments where they're mistakenly taught to believe that they're somehow oppressed and that somehow they are different from other people as opposed to trying to find similarities with all of us they're only seeing differences creating this us versus them attitude which can then lead to aggression and prejudice and sometimes even violence and what's really sad is as you said most people haven't even seen this movie the people that that were calling for the boycott and were writing the fake negative reviews are people that haven't even seen this movie because if they had i imagine they would really enjoy it and i think that fear is exactly what it comes down to and i think it's one of those perceptions that People always assume, oh, well, if we start to add more people in, then am I going to lose my job? And, you know, and you see this, whether it's in a technology development firm where people are getting older and younger people are coming in and they want to hold on to what they know knowledge wise, because then someone else might take their job. It's kind of that same viewpoint that they're like, oh, well, if we move in this direction, then how am I going to work? How is this going to happen? And people don't understand that when we start to bring all of the people and all of the perspectives to the table, we actually in turn bring in so many new ideas that more jobs are gonna blossom, more fields are going to occur, and we're gonna start realizing that there's even more that we can be doing as a society, which is gonna in turn create more jobs. So I think that that one of the largest perceptions that I have at least and that I hear a lot is that fear of losing the jobs. I see it a lot as a woman in science where some of the counter posts that these trolls will do is, well, there's only so many jobs. So if now we have 50-50 women, then what, the 20% of men that were making it a 70-30 split don't have jobs now? And it's like, no, because there's not just one spot. And you find that a lot too with women, we get pitted against each other in science where they're like, well, you're a female manager. If she becomes a manager, you're going to lose your job. And it's like, well, no, that's not what that means because there's more than one spot. There's room for more than one person here. And I actually, I was listening to this really good interview of Chuck Pyanook done by Joe Rogan for his podcast. And there was a moment where Chuck was talking about how he used to start up these writers groups. And someone asked him like, well, why are you doing that? You're just building your competitors. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm creating a market. Exactly. And, and that's how we have to look at it. You know, like we're not taking something away from you. We're creating a whole new potential market and a whole new potential plethora of jobs. Because when we bring everyone to the think tank, the number of ideas and possibilities grows exponentially because for so long, it's only been a single perspective and a single voice making all of our markets. And now if we bring everyone into the talks, which 
we're selling to everyone, so why aren't we letting them design as well? Now we suddenly could have manufacturing for everything, you know? And, and I think that fear is just driving them to just clutch closer and tighter, and they don't realize that they're smothering it. They're killing it by doing that. I agree with that. And I think that this idea of scarcity that you were mentioning, this idea that there's not enough spots for everyone or that there's only so many positions that will be open or only so many movies are going to get made is such an outdated idea. We're seeing with Wonder Woman, for example, that after that movie did really well, now we're actually getting more movies from a number of different franchises. So we're actually creating more opportunities by allowing more diversity, Exactly as you were saying. But let's mm -hmm. be honest. It's also realistic to have other representations. There's more people than just white male superheroes, right? And that's what this movie does so well, too, is it has such a diverse representation of strong women in the movie. There's multi-aged, multi-raced, multi-alien women standing tall and embodying strength and positivity. You see a wide variety of these strong women. It's so refreshing to have such a variety of these roles to connect with, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's, it's actually one of the reasons that I utilize superhero science as my outreach is because comics are already inclusive. They're already diverse. They already show that a single person can make a difference. They have really cool superpowers and technology to inspire kids to want to build more scientific tech. And it's something that that diversity and inclusion is already normalized. It's inherent in every issue across the board. So why would we not have that in the cinematic universes? Exactly. You mentioned at the beginning that Captain Marvel stands alone. And I don't believe we have talked about the Bechdel test on our podcast before, have we? Uh, we have not talked about the Bechdel test in a while. Can you briefly explain what that test is? Sure. The Bechdel test is a test to see if a particular movie or a TV show has at least two women on the screen at the same time talking about a subject that does not involve other men. Now, the Bechdel test does not specify for how long they have to be on the screen together, but if for at least a part of the conversation, they are not just talking about a guy, then we will say that that film or that TV episode will have passed the Bechdel test. Right. So it's so interesting to me that Captain Marvel did not have a love interest in this film at all. Not even in her flashbacks, nothing. There was simply no love interest for her. And to be honest, it really made no damn difference. Exactly. Um, what does this say, though, with regards to social expectations and perception of accepted relationships? I, I love that she didn't have a love interest in here because I think it shows that you can have a powerful character that doesn't necessarily have to follow this traditional norm. Not everybody engages in romantic relationships in their lives. Not everybody wants to fall in love and have a family. And I love just loving a superhero because she's a superhero. It doesn't have to be about her and some dude. It can be just all about her. And I'll be honest, I watched it. I didn't even notice it. But at the end, when Dustin brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, and that was really nice because it was all about her. It wasn't about the person she was starting to have feelings for. And what I really love in it is that you see that her life is still rich and it's full. And 
for me, especially as like a single female scientist, like my friends are my family. And you see that in the film with Maria Rambo and her daughter, how Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers is part of their family. Excuse me, I'm looking for Maria Rambo. Mom, it's Auntie Carol. I knew it. Everyone said you were dead. And she's got that enriched relationship through them of still being able to have someone she's fighting for and someone she cares for. And she has her mentors that she adores as well. And it's one of those things that that relationship, seeing just that lifting each other up when things are hard, you know, you see it with Carol in the flashbacks when Maria is first with her daughter and, and you can tell that they're really going through this together, this pregnancy, this raising of a child and not in an intimate way, but in a friendship way, in the way that, you know, I would be there for one of my friends or they would be there for me if I was in hardship. And then we see Maria come back when Carol starts doubting herself as Captain Marvel of whether or not she can do it. And she's reminding her like, you were strong before you could do photon blasts out of your face. You know, yes. and it's it's one of those things that while she is strong alone, she's stronger with her friendships, but she doesn't need a man. She doesn't need an intimate relationship. She still has all of that within her. But just like any other human may need that connection to remind themselves when they're doubting, she does have that friend that's able to do that and to lift her in those hard moments. But it's not something that without she would be less. Exactly. And I love that. And I also love the two of them together being such a great example from Monica, mm -hmm. Maria's daughter, who I think we know from the comics becomes a superhero of her own. Yes, she does. And I'm so <laughs> excited about that. And already as a little girl, she's already such a fighter. And I think that it just seems like seeing her mom and her mom's best friend in this way had such a powerful impact on her. And it was such a beautiful girl empowerment moment to me to watch the three of them interact together. I'm just hoping to see more of that in other movies. Yeah, and she's so fierce. And I love the moment when she's like, I think that you should be thinking about the example that you are setting for your young daughter by yes. not taking this job, mom. Yes. <laughs> like, how true is that? How many times do we start to marginalize ourselves and self-doubt ourselves and to have her daughter be like, you're good enough and you should do this and this is where you belong. Like, it's like, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love that. What a fierce and powerful voice. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah, that was that was quite amazing. So cute. Dr. Scarlet, throughout the movie, Captain Marvel is repeatedly told to control her emotions and is even shamed for displaying them. Veers. Intelligence. Your commander insists that you're fit to serve. I am. You struggle with your emotions with your past, which feels them. You have to let go of the past. I don't remember my past. It's causing you doubt, and doubt makes you vulnerable. Control it. What is the psychological effect of inhibiting one's own emotions? 
Well, we know from years, from decades of research that inhibiting our emotions can have severe repercussions on not only our psychological, but even our physiological health. It can even affect our heart health. It can affect our immune system. And some studies are actually showing that emotional suppression can make it more likely that we might develop certain illnesses like heart disease and cancer because of how incredibly awful the effects of emotional suppression are on our immune system. It's so interesting that we're seeing these predominantly male messages insisting that she be less emotional, that she control herself. And I think that very sadly, people of all genders have been shamed for displaying emotion in the past. Um, I think women are told that they're too dramatic or too quote unquote crazy. I, I really don't like either of those words. I think that's such critical and shameful words for experiencing something natural as natural as sadness or anger or fear. And then boys are shamed even more. I think, you know, stereotypically, uh, boys are at a quite large disadvantage in that they're told that it's not okay for them to experience emotion and somehow it makes them not manly, that somehow it takes away from their masculinity. And I think it's such a disadvantage for people of every background because it lets us know or it makes us believe mistakenly that the very thing that makes us human is somehow wrong and therefore should not be allowed. Nowadays, we're starting to learn about the importance of emotion expression, of course, healthy emotion expression in terms of acknowledging our sadness, our frustration, our anger, our fear as a way of letting ourselves know that we need something as a way of taking care of ourselves. And I love that toward the end of the movie, we see Captain Marvel essentially break those shackles literally and metaphorically in terms of allowing herself to express herself instead of suppressing all of her superpowers, which include her emotions, and use them to become the very superhero she was meant to be in the first place. And I think it was such a powerful metaphor for everybody, you know, in terms of the fact that our emotions are our superpowers. We're not meant to suppress them. We're meant to embrace them. We're meant to use them for empowerment. Our anger, our fear, our anxiety, these are our biggest superpowers. And I think we're meant to activate with them like Captain Marvel did. All those things you were mentioning are superpowers. And it's interesting that Captain Marvel has these amazing powers of, you know, shooting beams out of her hands. And then she actually is repressed. You, you mentioned shackles. I, I would like to actually consider them power inhibitors or something on her hands. So this question is for you, Tamara. How, <laughs> how would these kind of devices even work? <laughs> yeah. So it's intriguing. Her photon blasters are something that I actually, we did this panel on the technology of Captain Marvel. I did it for North Carolina Comic Con. And I talked about her photon blasters being very similar to directed energy weapons that are being developed to be able to like take out space debris and missiles that are incoming. What's interesting to me about the theatrical version, especially of her photon blasters, is that they're always on. She always has the energy, is what I mean to say, versus in the comics, she always had to touch something to be able to get the energy. So if you think about these power inhibitors, from a comic standpoint, they literally 
incapacitate her ability to touch and therefore absorb the energy that she then would need to transfer because, you know, physics and chemistry says that you're not going to be just creating or destroying energy. You need to be either transferring it or transforming it. So if she's transferring it, and now unable to touch, they don't have to worry anymore. She's not going to be able to do a photon blast. But in the theatrical version, she never actually touches something to get that energy. The only time we see her actually physically touch something is when she touches the teapot. And in that, it's actually the reverse. She's not taking energy from a hot tea and making it cold. She's actually putting energy into the teapot to make it boil, to prove her point that she can do this really cool thing with her superpowers. In that case, my assumption is the way that they're looking at it is, well, she's not going to fire into this thing because then (laughs) it's just going to fire back at her, right? But with the sheer temperature of these blasts that we see shown throughout the movie, in my mind, if she can take it to that temperature and go through a building or go through a warship, yeah, then obviously she can just blast off whatever these metal things are. Because I'm assuming their strongest metal is used on their warship, so this hand device cannot be that much bigger than that. So unless it's something that's like energy containment, but again, if her comic book roots are true, then she's just going to take whatever that, you know, Mm -hmm. surrounding energy is to put it forward and be able to still blast. I just don't think it would work in any way, the way that they show it working. Like, it just wouldn't. Like... (laughs) It did seem like her power was just stifled or something like that. Like it was suppressed somehow. The cool thing was she she still kicked some butt, right? (laughs) She kicked a lot of butt, even with a mom. She did. (laughs) Literally with her hands bound and behind her back, she was able to still take on everyone and go forward. And I think if anything, it was more of a symbolic blockade because in her mind, because we see her struggle so much with her identity throughout the film and her belief in herself in the moments where everyone's telling her she's not good enough, but then we see her triumph. It's just another moment where symbolically she's seeing these things and she doubts herself and then automatically just goes to throwing them instead of trying to force her way through them, which when she finally goes, this is who I am, I can do this, she's able to easily blast them off. But it was enough of a symbolic blockade to to mentally make her doubt. And it worked in that effect, you know, because she didn't try to push beyond them mm-hmm. until she finally really believed in herself again. That was all amazing. So I want to talk about one of my favorite characters in the film. And this is Goose, the adorable orange (laughs) Cthulhu kitty. Goose is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) He did steal the show a bit. Why is it that we as audience members may be so enamored with like a feline character? (laughs) Kind of like, you know, Nick Fury sitting there, oh, little baby kitty, you know, all this (laughs) stuff. And then all of a sudden Cthulhu breaks out. But (laughs) Who's a good kitty, huh? Huh, Goose? Yes, that's right. Who's a good kitty, Goose? Well, like Nick Fury, I am very enamored with cats in general. We have two of them, 
And I would do the same thing. If I saw this adorable kitty, I would just want to take it and, and hug it and pet it. And then we learned that it's this killing machine and that makes it so much more awesome. I think there's something about that really adorable feeling that we get when we see a cute creature like a, a cat or a dog, you know, especially like a kitten or a puppy. Our bodies release this hormone called oxytocin, which creates that kind of like, oh, kind of a response. <laughs> and I, I think most of the audience around us, that's what they did when they saw that cat, you know, very similar to what we saw in Trek. <laughs> when with Puss in Boots. Yes, with Puss in Boots when he makes the big eyes. And so seeing this, you know, seemingly defenseless little kitty, I think we all just fell in love with it. And then when it was scanned and... It was reported that it's this highly dangerous creature. I think that uh, at the very least, I had a laugh because I was like, oh, of course, it makes sense. Cats are dangerous. Uh, <laughs> but then we find out that it's actually this like Cthulhu kind of thing that can like eat people. <laughs> and and think, eat a tesseract, which yes. makes it super powerful, right? Yes. yes. Um, so I totally want one now. And I'm, <laughs> I'm in the market if anyone has any. I would totally want a cat like him. And I think the fact that that fury kind of fell in love with him just makes it even more adorable and and now we know what happened to fury's eye which is just so yes. fitting it's so fitting i mean in some ways he lost his eye in battle but you know in a battle with an adorable kitty <laughs> what i really liked about bringing the flurkin goose into the storyline is it kind of also speaks to the emotions that are driven behind perceptions. So we all live our different lives and, and we interact with things differently. So like people that have had cats that were adorable and loving their entire lives, which I assume Nick Fury must have at some point because of his reaction, he doesn't see a cat and perceive it as a risk, you know, and no way in his mind and his perception and the way that his world works is a cat a dangerous thing. And then even once he knows, okay, this thing was rated way higher, more dangerous than me as a human, he still just can't believe it because he doesn't have that that perception and knowledge base of what a flurkin is. He hasn't seen it attack yet, so he doesn't have any emotional response to the word flurkin. He doesn't have a cognitive thought process with it. He's just like, oh, no, fuzzy yeah. kitty, you know? So it's like, it's one of those things that the other guys are like, oh, I can't believe you're touching that. Like, what is it? like? <laughs> and it makes you wonder, like, if they went to a pet store while they were visiting, you know, maybe one that was next to Blockbuster, would they feel that way about every cute little kitten in the room? Because in their perception, these are killing machines at all times. You oh, know? yeah. Or how, how did they actually know what kind of creature it was behind its facade or whatever? I loved how Nick Fury, once he realized what it was, he held it out like a weapon. Yep, yep. <laughs> I will threaten you with my cat. I'm going to start like, doing that. Sick of goose. I, I love that he, he kind of looks at it like the baseball player that missed the pitch. Like, why aren't you working? What is the technology that's wrong? It's not me as yep. the user. <laughs> like me and my cell phone. Same thing. I'm really enjoying this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Well, Tamara, we're talking about Captain Marvel. And once she fully comes into her powers, she essentially becomes kind of like Marvel's version of Superman or Supergirl. What might be behind her powers, including her ability to fly and travel throughout her space and basically have super strength and photon beams and all that stuff? 
it's really intriguing because, in effect, once she becomes Captain Marvel, she's actually the strongest entity in the Marvel universe, uh, which is obviously why she's going to be. I actually have a quick question: Is she is yeah. she is she more strong? Do you think than Phoenix? She is said to be the strongest superhero in the Marvel universe once she becomes Captain Marvel. Now. The question becomes, so this is kind of the history of Captain Marvel, right? Like she came to be in the 1970s during the feminist movement, right? Like everyone's like, okay, we need a strong Marvel female character. Who can we make? And so in the 70s, the X-Men were actually tied up with licensing issues. So they weren't allowed to be accessed by Marvel in this moment to try to be like, oh, let's put the Phoenix or Storm or, or one of them up. So it is an actually intriguing question and you know i really i think i mean they both have fire they both have basically the ability to blast and incinerate but captain marvel has the advantage of creep blood right so she also has like the bonding she does with the reactor when it blows up so there's so many things that she's super strong she's super durable she can fly she can hang out in the vacuum of space She's able to absorb and release energies, whereas I think the Phoenix, it's all about that internal energy that she has on her own. I think that Captain Marvel does have the ability to take in a lot more energy than the Phoenix, which may be the only tipping scale item. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I remember reading an Uncanny X-Men Dark Phoenix series where she blew up a whole planet. (laughs) She just, just blew up everybody. I mean, yeah, we don't crazy. know that Captain Marvel can't do that. She kind of hang yeah. out in front of those ships like, you guys really want to test this theory? I want to see that matchup, actually. <laughs> yeah, that would be an yeah. interesting, right? it's an interesting Versus, conversation. Yes. yes. It, w- it would be really intriguing. Actually, and I, I'm not aware, who has the rights to X-Men right now? Yeah, I think Marvel has it now. Do they have it now? Because yeah. if they do, that would be an extremely interesting thing. Because like I said, when she, when it came about, the whole reason that they went back and retooled that earlier timeline of Marvel with the sidekick Carol Danvers to her being Ms. Marvel and then Captain Marvel was because they needed a strong female character. Like that was their answer. And, and the only reason they didn't go after the X-Men clan was at the time, they just didn't have access to them. Right. Like from a licensing standpoint, they just didn't. Well, damn, I'm really enjoying this podcast, but I I think we're creeping up on a little bit of time here. So we're going to go ahead and end this episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill, Quill like the feather. And again, our special guest is Tamara Robinson. And would you tell us anything about yourself how to reach you anything that's going on in the future just tell us about yourself yeah so i can be found on all social media platforms at tlynr85 so t-l-y-n-n-r 85 and we just launched a superhero science outreach comic called seekers of science it's me and my counterpart dr tracy finara who is also on mythbusters the search with me and we have donated over a thousand copies across the nation in the last month, which has been a lot of flight. Teleportation needs to happen. Please, yes. young STEM kids, please invent teleportation because it would make my life easier yes. and I would bring you more comics. Um, <laughs> but everyone can see that at seekersofscience.com. So join us. Awesome. That is so cool. <laughs> I, I can't wait to read it. And what a fantastic idea. Well, STEM kids, if you do decide to make a teleportation device out there, just don't make it like Spaceballs. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> 
I do feel like the first thing they'd be like, let's put this this baseball in here. Let's put this in here. Like I feel like it's, it's like just, a button. Let's mess with it. this guy real quick. Let's turn his you know butt in his front in here. Can I put a pie over your head? <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much, thank Tamara. You. Thank you.